Before I, I get started, uh, I, I just want to share some, re- some really quick housekeeping news. I, I'm excited because uh, uh, starting October 6th, we are going to start what will be our discipleship path here at Overflow Church. Uh, and we're just calling it simply Becoming. I'm convinced that you're either becoming one thing or another. You're allowing culture, the world, all those other things to shape you into who you are, or you're allowing the scriptures, the spirit of God, and his desire for you to shape you who, into who you are. And so, so, so what is it that you're becoming? So we're going to be exploring this for the next 13 weeks. We're going to be doing our first si- session, which is part one, is going to be uh, six weeks. And then in the spring of next year, we'll do uh, seven weeks. And we got uh, really cool T-shirts like that, you know, to incentivize you to come uh, and be a part of that. And, uh, and when you graduate, and so we, I'm, I'm really excited uh, about the series. This will be our discipleship path. Here's the only catch. There's only 30 spots available. 30 spots. And so this is going to be a focused time that we're going to be together. And so this is what I would ask for you. Go and register quickly. Go and register quickly. Uh, I'm going to close it at 30 and then we'll, we'll reopen it. And we'll, this is something that we're going to do. So if you don't make it this time, uh, don't worry. Uh, Maybe you'll make it next time. Who knows? I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> man, I'm excited to start this new series, uh, Generate Hope. We're going to be uh, talking about, this is our, our big uh, mission, is that God has called us as a community. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about the vision of this church. So I want you to mark two big days on your calendar. Um, if you can be, if you're going to miss, you know, you can miss any, any day. Would you be here on October 16th, especially if you call Overflow Church your home? October 16th is a a very big day where we're going to be talking about what does the next five to ten years look like for our church? Where is it that we're specifically going? And then November 6th that we're calling our big day. Would you make sure to put that on your calendar? And so I, I want to share real quickly that, that God uh, has gave this, this elder team and myself this vision for our church. And it's through praying and talking with you and having conversation. As we asked, when I came, everybody was asking me this question. Hey, hey, Elijah, where, where are we going? What are we, what are we doing? What's the new vision? And I, and I said, hold on, hold on. Right, right now, all we're going to be doing is we're going to be dealing with the culture of our church. Right? I, I wanted to foster this attitude of prayer, that, that we do not do anything without the, the leading of the Holy Spirit, without God speaking to us. And, and during that time, I, I, we met with the elders, and we, we met in their room, and we whiteboarded, and we talked, and we prayed, and we talked, and we prayed, and God gave us a vision of where our church is going. The type of people that we want to become. And so I want to put this on the screen for us, that God is calling us to become an overflowing presence of Christ's love, proclaiming hope to the neighbor and the stranger. That that is who we are called to be. That That is the physical manifestation that God has called Overflow Church to be. And you might have heard me saying this over and over. I've been dropping this neighbor and stranger and nook and cranny and all these different things. And people joke about it. Like, man, you keep saying it. But this is, I've been trying to just share just little bits of it so that you would know, hey, this is who we're becoming. 
And what's been awesome is that I have seen it in the life of our church. What's been awesome is that there's a group of ladies that, that wake up at like, uh, even before Jesus wakes, I don't know, like at 6.30, right? And they get on the phone and they decided to do it by themselves and they pray. And they're praying that revival would happen. Not only in this building, but in their workplaces. We want to become an overflowing presence of Christ's love, proclaiming hope to the neighbor and the stranger. Okay, so that's, that's our, our vision. That's, that's, the, that's the big thing. That's, that's who we're, we're, where we're going. How do we get there? So we ask the question, if overflow leaves this place, what will our neighbors say about us? What will this community say about us? What will St. Joseph, Stevensville, Fair Plain, Coloma, Benton Harbor, what will they say uh, about us? And what we said is that we want to be a church that has, generates hope. This is the vehicle, right? That we wanted to generate hope, that, that everywhere we go, that we wanted to be people which proclaim the hope that is found in Jesus. So that's... That's the vehicle. That's how we get there, right? So we, we, we have where we're going. We have our destination. We have our vehicle, how we will get there. So uh, I want, for these next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about how, it feel, how will it feel for us to get there? How will it feel in that car ride to make sure that we're going in the right direction? And so we're going to be talking through our values, and you've heard it already, We're going because uh, we've said it over and over and over again. We're going to be talking about presence and hope. Presence and hope are, are two of our values. And, and what we say about presence is that, is, is that this presence is who we are made to be. We are to take Jesus everywhere we go, flooding every what? Nook and... Come on, y'all my people. <laughs> flooding every nook and cranny of our region. That we are called to be a presence. Next is that hope is our proclamation. That our purpose is to proclaim the hope found in Jesus because we are unashamedly Jesus people. That, that's, that's who God has called us to be. We will never hide the Jesus uh, that has transformed our lives. So, so we started off. Uh, clearly, right, in the day of Pentecost where, where God is doing this new thing and, and there, there's fire and wind and God, right, is commissioning his people. But, but how do we get there? So this is what I'm going to ask for you to do for the next 30 minutes. If you're note takers, please grab your notes. Now, y'all know, now y'all know your pastor's been gone for about five weeks, right? right. Y'all had other people in here. I heard you saying it. Oh, my goodness, pastor, that person <laughs> preached so good. I was like, wait a second. I'm your pastor. I'm joking. And so I'm ready. I've been cooking. So, so, so here it is. If your notes, people, grab your notes. We're, we're going to be diving deep today, right? We're going to be reading a ton of scripture. And I want you to follow because I want you to see everything that we do is based in the word, right? We are people of the book. So, so, so we're, we're going to dive in. Before we get all the way to Acts chapter 2, we got to go all the way back to Genesis, to the beginning, right? We, we see what God is doing, but, but what I want you to know is that there is this large, big, bigger story that is at play. 
And if, we, if we're not careful, we'll, we'll see things in the scripture and we'll be like, why is this happening? Why, why are these things taking place? And we won't see the meta narrative. There's this large narrative of scripture that God has always been at work at play. And so when we, we, we jump into Genesis chapter 3, and, and what we see is that God is in communion with human beings, and they are literally enjoying his presence. The Bible talks about Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the day and communed with God. Can you imagine what that felt like to enjoy the presence, the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit to talk to God, to ask God questions, to be with God, to enjoy fully the experience of what he made, which was good. Then we know what happens in Genesis 3 also, right? That man sins, and all of a sudden, what do they do? They, they forfeit the ability to be in his presence because where God is, God, sin is not. God will not occupy the same space as sin. So now they're thrust out of the presence of God. But, but here's how beautiful uh, our good and precious God is that he, even in, 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 in judging the children for their mistakes, he is busy at work, ready to restore that relationship. And so... He puts a plan into motion, and and what does he do? He he grabs a person, and he grabs a people for himself that would start the the activation to seeing all of his children, all of the world come back to Jesus. And so he he grabs Abraham. Look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. This is what it says. It says that the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to, and land, and I will show you, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and I will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and those who curse you, I will curse. And all the people on the earth, say it with me. All the people on the earth will be blessed through you. Right here, God is making a covenant that that Abraham, this is not just about you. It's not just about your family. But through you, what I will do is I will restore all the nations. And they will enjoy my presence. What we see is that, uh, that Abraham has a family and then he has kids and those kids, right, uh, continue to grow and, and what happens, famine comes to the land so they find themselves in, in Egypt. And once they're in Egypt, uh, they forget about the land where they, they came from and over time, they become enslaved and oppressed by the Egyptians in this foreign land But God still uh, loves them. God is still at work uh, ready to restore them. Can I I tell you something right now? I'm going to have a preaching moment. I told you I'm going to preach for a little bit. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're going through. But God's plan has not been eliminated from your life. That he's still able to restore you. He's still planning to restore you. Just be patient. And so, and so what happens, right? God, God restores, I mean, delivers the children of Egypt through his servant Moses. And now they find themselves at the foot of Mount Sinai where God desires for them to have that same relationship that they had in Genesis chapter 3, right? Where, where he was in their presence. 
what God says to Moses. He, he says, uh, Moses, in, in Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 through 6, he says, Moses, it says, Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you out to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, here's what he says, then out of all the nations, you will be treasured possessions. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, holy nations. This is the words that I will speak to you, you Israelites. That God is saying, I have a covenant with Abraham that continues to extend to you and that I have not forgotten. So, so, so what I want you to do, I want you to bring all the children of Israel into my presence. And you are going to enjoy me as, as they did in Genesis chapter 3. This is God's desire. Look at Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 through 18. This is the response. See, so on the, the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and the very loud trumpet blast. And everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain, Mount Sinai, and it was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it like fire. The smoke billowed from it, and the smoke from the furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. Here it is. I want you to, to keep this in mind, right, as, as we continue going through Scripture. You're going to see a repeated pattern. When the presence of God comes, we see fire, we see smoke, we see wind, right? Because th there's something new that is happening and shifting. What is the children of Israel's response, right? Now you get to be in the presence. Now you get to be where I am. Look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 18 through 19. This is what he says. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning, and they heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They, they stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself. And we will listen, but do not have God speak to us, for we will die. What's happening here? Again, the writers in scriptures are, are, always, are often writing the same stories, but in different ways. And if you read scripture over and over again, what will happen is that you will pick up these patterns, these things, these clues that are happening over and over again. See, God wanted them to be in his presence, but what did they do because of fear, because of sin? They said, no, no, Moses, you go. You go be the one who goes for us. And once again, they forfeit the ability to be in the presence of God. See, God had called them to be a kingdom of priests, not just a kingdom with priests. God had called each and every person to be in the presence of God. But they didn't want that. They, you know what they wanted? Give us a pastor. <laughs> he, he can talk well. He's cool, handsome. You know, it's, it's, uh, right? Like, he, like, give us that guy. Right? And, and God is saying, no, each and every one of you can experience what Adam and Eve experienced. I, I want you in our presence. So God said, okay, if that's what you want. And so he carves out of this nation, which was supposed to be a nation of priests, just a people in the nation of priests, which were the Levites. And they don't experience the presence. But, but look at God. God is always at work. What? Wanting you to experience his presence. 
Even though he had priests, this is what he did. He literally sets camp in the middle of the, the, the children of Israel. I, I want to show you a picture. You, if you were the children of Israel, right, this is where the tabernacle is. And there was smoke that came from the tabernacle ex- that you would experience the presence literally of the, whole, of the holy God in that place. So if you opened your tent and you, and you woke up in the middle of the morning, guess what you would see? Right in the middle, everybody was faced where? With God. They were faced looking at the presence of God. That you literally, God literally moved into the neighborhood. He was their neighbor. This is God's desire for us that we would experience his presence because where the presence of the Lord is, there is hope. This is God's desire. And so, thank you so much. You know, I'm sweating up here. It's been a while. <clears throat> and, so, and so they experience, God says, no, you will be my, my people. As you continue reading in the scriptures, what you find is that Solomon now, after, after they get into the promised land, right, uh, and, and, and they're there now, and, they, and, and God says, okay, now it's time. Build me, build me a house. Build me a house. Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 8 builds the house of the Lord. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7 verses 1, he finishes uh, this and the, literally the presence of the Lord comes upon the house. Listen to the, the scripture and tell me, and in your mind, I want you to think about what does it sound like. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven. And consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. And when all of the Israelites saw that the fire would come down and the glory of the Lord was above the temple, they knelt on the pavement and their faces on the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, He is good. His love endures forever. What is this picture? It's the same picture that we saw uh, at, the, uh, at the tabernacle. It is the same picture that we saw at Mount Sinai, right? The, the writers are trying to get us, man, when the presence of the Lord is here, here are these things that are happening, right? This, these sounds, these smells, these images that are happening here. And so the presence of God was once again with the people of God. But, but just like Genesis 3, again, right, there is a pattern what do the children of Israel do? They, they sin against God, and then they forfeit their right to be in the presence of the Lord. See, God is, is not going to force you into anything. He will never force his presence on you. He says either you obey and flourish and live the life that I've called you to live, or you can have it your way. And he hands them over to their desires and he hands them over to their evil affections. And so they start doing the things that God had delivered them from in Egypt. They start oppressing people. They start oppressing the poor. They start oppressing the weak. They start oppressing the marginalized. And injustice starts to run rampant in Israel. And they start uh, serving other gods and literally bringing other gods into the temple. And so God gives them over to the devices. And God's presence leaves. And what happens? They, they again, reap the seed that they are sowing, and they are once again exiled into Babylon. They're exiled into Babylon. Uh, Seventy years 
after they had forfeited their presence 70 years. We, we find ourselves in the book of Ezra here in Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. And, and so now they're back and they're like, okay, we're going to figure it out, right? We want to do, we want that same experience that God had given us. We finally get it, right? We're going to be obedient. And so they start laying the foundation of this new temple and they gather together, but, but only something different has taken place. Look at Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. It says, when the builders lay the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priest in their vestments and their trumpets and the Levites and the sons of Asaph with their symbols took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David of Israel with praise and thanksgiving. They sang to the Lord. Let me pause right here. What does this remind you of? Of the time when they, in, in, at the first tabernacle that they built, right? The, the writers want you to, to visualize this as you are hearing this, as you are reading this. And they, this is what they said. He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all of the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid but I want you to watch this. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of the temple being laid. While many others shouted, no one could distinguish the sound of shouts for joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. What's happening here? There was an older group which remembered when, when they dedicated the temple originally and they remembered the presence of God and they said, this is not it. Where is the presence? Where is, where is the presence? Remember when, when God came and there was fire and smoke, we know what it felt like. And yes, we're back. But where is the presence? Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner writes this. He says, this time, as, uh, talking about Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 through 13, this time there is no ark. There's no visible glory. Indeed, no temple. Only just the beginnings. Only just small beginnings. See, because even though the, the presence didn't manifest like it did before, what did we say earlier? That God inhabits the praises of his people. And, and this is what uh, they understood. Some of them understood that God was still at work. That he had not forfeited his plan for their lives. That at someday he was going to restore it. And so there was hope. But for some people they were still wondering where is the presence of God. Here's the thing that I want us to understand. Overflow Church. Where there is no presence there is no hope. Where there is no presence, there is no hope. If, if, if there is no tangible presence here, right, if we do not come into this place as we gather together as the saints, as believers, as we praise Jesus on high, let me tell you something. We need to lock the doors and we need to throw away the keys because, because where there is no presence, there is no hope. Let me, let me take it a little bit further. If all the churches which are in this area are not united under the blood-stained banner of Jesus, and they're proclaiming the presence of the Holy Spirit, then there is no hope for our region. Where there is no presence, there is no hope. What will happen is there will be a feeling of hopelessness and longing. And what we see in the Old Testament is this continued echo of them saying, when we will, when we will go back to the, to the place where we used to be. 
this desire, like we remember what the presence looked like. We remember what the presence looked like. There is this longing for God to come and restore, to come and do something again. And we see it echoed all throughout the Old Testament and the process. They hoped that God would do something. And some of them started getting antsy. They said, okay. And there was false messiahs that came. And there were, there, were, there were different people that came and oppressed them. The Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Romans, that they continued to come. And they were saying, is this ever going to happen? Maybe this was just metaphorical. Maybe, maybe God is just a great idea and a way for us to live our lives. Where there is no presence, there is no hope. And between the Old Testament and New Testament, there's 400 years of silence and hopelessness. Where there is no presence, there is no hope. As we move into the New Testament, we see that God is actually still at work. That his plan was not derailed. That God's plan was still at work. Look at John 1.14. And, 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 and John understands this idea. Listen to these words. He said, the word became flesh and it made his dwelling, what? Among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. First of all, let me pause here for a second to have just another preaching moment. I cannot wait to the winter because I'm going to preach the mess out of this text. Okay. But all right, I'm going to pause. All right. That's just, I'm going to put that right there. Okay. The Greek word here for dwelling among us, listen to this, the Greek word here for dwelling among us literally means to dwell in a tent. Right? What is John saying? That, that Jesus, the word, became flesh and dwelt among us. What's the picture that we're seeing here? The picture that we've seen in the Old Testament, the, the tabernacle, that he dwelt among us. You see, God once again is at work that he is, he is, he desires more than you do for you to enjoy his presence. And he wants his children together. God dwells among us. And so now we see a picture, right? As we're reading through the scripture, right, this imagery should be giving you this picture of like Jesus was walking with them. Who used to walk in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve? God, right? That he's talking with them, that he's present with them, that they're experiencing the fullness of his presence. So now Jesus is here. Now this new thing has happened. But now they're starting to ask the question, okay, God, oh, is this thing, is, is this going to go back to the way that it used to be? Look at Acts chapter 6 through 9. It says, then they gathered around him. This is after the resurrection. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Are we going to go back to the tent? Right? I mean, it's like, you, you did it. Are we going to go back to the tent? Are we going to set up our old, high, our old systems? Is there just going to be a group of priests that are the ones that are going to go before us so that we can experience your presence? See, their mindsets are still at the old way of things were supposed to be. God was doing a new thing. Listen to what Jesus said here. He said uh, to them, it is not for you to know the time or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on who? 
you. And you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. Okay, God, what? what? I, I thought it was, we, we have your presence, now you're gone? You keep on saying that there's something that's going to come that's going to be better? What, what are you talking about? Look at this. Go with me to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, this is where we started. They were all together in one place. Look, look at this. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of violent wind came from heaven. Do you remember this language? And filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed like tongues of fire separated and come on rest on each of them. Not just a single point, not just a temple, but on each of them. This imagery is Mount Sinai. This imagery is the tabernacle. This imagery is the temple. And what is God saying in this moment? That you are now the new temples of the Spirit of God. That I am shaping and doing a new thing. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And then Peter preaches one of the most powerful messages ever. 3,000 people get saved and baptized. And another way to say it is that 3,000 people get saved and they are born again. Another way to say that is presence plus hope equals new life, <laughs> right? Where, where the presence of God is, there is hope, right? That, that God is, was busy doing a new thing when we thought that, man, it, it's all done. There's hopelessness. God was busy at work saying, I want my children to be with me to fill the fullness of my presence. And every time there's presence, there's hope in the good news of the gospel that God came and he died for our sins and he resurrected. And now we have new life where presence plus hope equals new life. And so there is something now that God says we have to do. Now that we have this presence is who we are made to be. And we now have hope. We proclaim in Jesus Christ we are supposed to spread there is access to this new life. Amen. That's what it's all about. Look, look at what uh, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 through 23. He says, and God placed all things under his feet. Prior to this verse, he's saying that God has been given all authority, right? After he's been resurrected for the dead. And he says that God has placed all things under his feet and is appointing him the head of everything for the church. Who is the church? We are. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Or I like to say it, that fills every nook and Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're my people. <laughs> that God is actually filling every space, every place where there's darkness with his presence. See, that, that it's no longer a stationary tabernacle where his presence dwells, but his presence is each and every person. So everywhere you go, you bring his presence. Yes. And everywhere his presence is, there is hope. And where there is hope, there should be new life. 
the problem is, the problem is, there's too many churches which are not filled with new life. Let's just be honest. And we wonder, what well, what's going on here? Why, why uh, do we go to places that seem like things are going on, but when you get there, you don't feel the presence of God? It's, it's, it's massage. It looks good. They got great programs. There's good, good little things going on here. And it feels like everything is set up in place. But it doesn't feel like there's a new presence. Yeah. I would argue, I would argue, I would argue that in uh, the West, in America, we have done a really good job of playing church. We, we've done a really good job of playing church. And people come in and they go out and they never experience the presence. I never experienced hope. And so, therefore, new life. Do you know one of the, the scariest studies? Barna talks about like how many churches do not even see a, a salvation and a baptism in a year. It is a, I mean, a large percentage of churches can go years without seeing new life happen. How is that possible when the presence of God is literally with you? You see, things can, can look beautiful, but actually, there's no life there. You, you know one of the, the most unnatural things on the face of the planet is a manicured lawn. Let me show you a picture of this, uh, is, is a manicured lawn. R- right here, this is one of the most unnatural things. I mean, literally. Do, do you see it? Of course, of course you like it because it's kept, it's pretty. It's been manicured. Everybody's done their job. And people talk about it. There's something, that's, that's a nice house. But, but what do you not see there? You don't see um, animals. You don't see uh, rabbits. You don't see, you don't see, see anything. You, you want to know what's natural? Let me, let me pull up this, this picture right here. That, that right there. That, 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 that right there is actually natural. Because here's the thing. You cannot go into nature and find that first picture. See, see, nature's not built like that. Nature's built for, for life to grow. And, 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 and what happens is these weeds start coming up because that is the birth of new life. And it starts breaking into the safe spaces. And, and, and unfortunately, overflow church, there's too many churches that are too safe. And there are people out here that are dying, that are looking for hope, that are broken. That are looking for somebody to love them in their weakest places. That are coming dirty, smelling like alcohol, full of addiction. And there's too many churches turning them away because we want that first picture. We want that manicured lawn. And so as much as it's beautiful and as much as it's pristine, there's no life. God is calling us. To break into those spaces, share life where there's lifelessness, to bring hope. You know what the most beautiful thing about a weed is that a weed will find just any little crack, even in cement. They'll find every little crack to bring forth new life. That in places which are manicured, that they shouldn't exist. It is the sign when you see weeds that there's life at work. God has called us 
to be a presence. That is who we're made to be. God has called us uh, to proclaim hope as unashamedly Jesus people to go in places where it doesn't seem like there's life. Overflow church and to spring forth new life. Yeah, that's, that's why God has said we are called to generate hope. Worship team, you can come up. It's for this reason. Today, when you came in, you had this uh, corner card that's been given to you. On it, there's eight slots. This is what we want you to do. On November 6th, we are calling it here at our church a big day because we will not allow, we will not allow this place to be a manicured lawn. We will not be like the children of Israel, which are still waiting for God to do an old thing when God has already done a new thing. We are the presence of the living God. And so what we're going to do is that we're going to list out eight people, eight people which are far away from Jesus, eight people which are on the brink, eight people that you've been talking to. We want to list them out, and we're going to have a focused prayer each day on those eight people. November 6th, we're going to be asking you to make room and invite people to come to this place to come to this place and to hear the gospel. We are expecting that we're going to fill those light bulbs out there because we're going to see salvations and we're going to see baptisms. But let me tell you something. It doesn't start at the pulpit. It starts here with us praying with people, with us investing time with these people, sharing the presence of the Lord Jesus with them. As we focus on what God wants to do in this place. I want to challenge us to fill this up. We're going to talk about this every week because I really believe that God wants to bring revival here. But let me tell you something. Revival doesn't just happen just because you say, I want revival. It happens because we pray. We call upon Jesus. We invest in people's lives. We care passionately, we care deeply, and we bring the presence of God because presence plus hope equals new life. So let's stand together. And maybe even as you're singing this last song, I want you praying, God, who is those people? We're not looking for people from other churches. Overflow Church. We do not build churches by destroying other churches. That is not what God has called us to. We're looking for people which are far away from Jesus. Let's sing together.